clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the 10th episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called I've Got This. (laughs) I don't know who got this in this episode. There was a lot of things to get. This one was pretty packed, Paul. Like, you know, in the previous episode, we just had this ride home, but this was full. I thought we got a lot going on. Let's talk a little bit about this montage that we got right at the beginning. We've got all these baby firsts. Was it bringing back any memories for you? Watching the the nighttime yawns, the diaper changing, all the, the first baths, all that good stuff. You know, that part of our lives, I know that we did it. Right. They're here. The children are here and alive. So Yeah, but I can't recall like a specific, I couldn't recreate a night for a story. I could jumble together the kinds of things that we dealt with because ours was unique. We had these lovely devices, if you've never uh, run into them out there in the world, called a pulse ox that would go off at random. It, we never, ever had a low oxygenation emergency Right, it was we just only like the had fell off false something. alarms. Yeah. And they would go off all the time. Yeah. So we had a little bit of a weird situation, but I would say you're right. Like, I actually can't remember bath time until they were like big enough to sit up and like sitting in like the kitchen sink. I can like remember a time like that, but I don't remember. I mean, obviously, we had three newborns and we, we must have bathed them regularly, but I've got no, I literally have no recollection of like, where did we even do that? Like, I don't know. I only can remember when they're already sitting up and they're in like bubble baths and they're playing and we're talking to them. And I can remember that. But those early days, man, I think the montage format works because, yes, we get to see the different dads and the different moms in their in their roles. But also there's like a blur of how many things are happening and what's going on and that you're almost losing track of all the different tasks they're doing. I think that's actually like wildly accurate to parenthood. I like the moment when Jack who has had his shift, he, he says, you're up. You know, normally you associate Jack with sort of this uh, white knight sort of, he'll just take it on the chin kind of behavior, but not tonight. He even like pulls the blanket off of her <laughs> to help encourage her to get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember those things that I can remember of, of, of switching shifts and That is, I think, a huge reason why now I'm such a night owl is because I most definitely had the night shift and still like kind of expect to be up all night and waiting for someone to need something in the night. So, yeah, man, some of that stuff, old habits die hard and other things. It's almost like this crazy trauma that you just like forget about. You know, I think people say that, you know, your mind does that so that you have a second kid and a third kid and a fourth kid, because if you really remembered how tired you were or how hard it was, how much you were working to keep everybody going, you wouldn't have any more. Well, after Jack, we must have had like breakthrough trauma that, that helped us remember. <laughs> Jack's our youngest. Yeah. So uh, I think we were all done. We, we, had, <laughs> we had enough children at that point. Let's talk about the Jack in the show, though. Big Jack, senior Jack, not baby Jack. But even though we had a baby Jack sighting in this episode, Polly, he had a black like Mohawky looking wig, which I was very surprised. With little Clark Kent type squiggle yes, on like the forehead. Little, what'd you call him? You said, oh, <laughs> look, he's like a little squiggy. <laughs> That's a very dated reference it to, doesn't to matter. younger it was, viewers. It is very cute. Schlemiel, okay. schlemazel, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all the schlemiel, all the schlemazel. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so let's get back to Jack because we're getting to that point where he is a foreman and he's actually moving into the position of going more, I would say corporate, more office. Mm-hmm. And we're having this meeting with Lundy. Now, I haven't been in the position of having this kind of meeting. My profession doesn't do it this way. So have you been in these types of like business dinner type situations where you had to kind of be a part of like whining and dining either on, on, on any side of this? You know, I've been to dinners with my boss and his boss before, but it was never in this context. I don't even know if this is a thing anymore. I mean, outside of like uh, sales or, or, or some kind of performance type role like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that's a thing. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that have fallen away because there's just so many other things that come with it. HR rules. Are yeah. Very HR rules is what days. I'm thinking is like, yeah. I mean, when you get people drinking coworkers, things like that, I think that people do shy away from having these types of intimate dinners with higher ups kind of thing. Although, you know, surely it happens all the time when they brought up the concept of credit card roulette, my stomach like was like just seized because Oh my gosh, you guys, the bill ends up being $230, he says, which all of us might say, well, that's okay. uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. And yeah, you know, you would, you would need to tighten your belt and, and maybe move some things around kind of thing. But you guys, that was back in 1980s. This today, that would be a $780 bill. If you like account for the, the difference in money these days, $780, I would be laid flat on the floor when you came home. I would have been like $780. Where am I supposed to get $780? Like for a dinner that, oh my God, like I would have lost my mind. Would you have put your credit card in? What would you have done in that sitch? You had to. You had to, but I had my suspicions about how the boss put his credit card on top and how it was the one chosen. It reminded me of kind of a hazing that that I saw on The Sopranos where the youngest guy, Christopher, was always stuck paying for the entire crew whenever they would go drinking, carousing, whatever. And that was just because he was the low man on the totem pole. I kind of wonder if we see if we see Jack out to dinner with these guys again, is he going to lose? I'm, I'm giving Caroline air quotes, yeah. lose credit card roulette because she always takes the one on top or something like that. Right. The you one know? closest. Yeah. That whole thing hurt my stomach. But I thought it was an interesting way to kind of backfill how the family dynamic actually worked, because we had talked about it in these first seasons about how, you know, it was Jack-centric and then the big three. Rebecca got very little play. What she was doing as a mother, how she worked in the household, it was very unclear. It was never sussed out for me at all. And we talked a lot about that. Like, why do we just gloss over? It's, it's not even like, look at Jack and Rebecca's love affair and it's so magical. It was like, Jack is this wonder man, right? He's Superman, literally in the show. And then there's Rebecca. And she always got sort of like the short end of the stick. This one, I felt like we're going back, we're backfilling some information and saying, well, actually, you know why they had any money in savings very likely to buy that cabin? Well, that's because Rebecca actually took over the finances and she was like, you know what? I know what, how to handle this. I know what our expenses are and I can do the money better than, better than you, I want to say. And I appreciated that they tried to show where she had a hand in how the trajectory of the family actually went. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this is a little retconning for her or do you feel like, you know, this is the way that they always had planned to kind of backfill Rebecca's story at this point of the series? 
I don't know that it has to be a retcon. I mean, this this time period has been unfilled in, you know, this this era. And it's and, and we might actually get a lot in this era because they can swap in and out um fresh babies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and not only that, but in real life, Mandy Moore is, you know, just has just given birth. So when you're talking about like what Rebecca looks like, it's it's a good idea to keep her in this like very early baby stage where she could still have a little bit of a pregnancy stomach and stuff like that. It kind of gels with re- reality, you know. But in terms of retconning versus just filling out her character as you originally asked. Yeah. Um I don't know that it has to be a, a, a retcon. It's like it's like maybe we needed to load up on why we love Jack first because that was the first tragedy they hit us with. Well, and the only time he's alive. It's a little bit like reality shows where you have to kind of do the characters who are going to get killed off first. You've got to be heavy on them because you're not in the, on the back half. They're not there to talk about. Exactly. And, but we now we're coming up on Rebecca's tragedy, so we have to fill in why we love her. So maybe that's it. Just, you know, you can't serve every character all the time. I, I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad that they went back because some of these things, even though it, it seems like minutia, I think it's going to matter. I think how it all worked out and where she comes into play, having the moment where Kate bothers to call and say, you know, I think that you mom actually were, you were the glue that kept things together. And and I realize now that dad probably didn't make a lot of money. That's why we could afford to do things was because of you. And I think that, again, that's a little unsung hero for the moms out there who are making it work. You know, a lot of people are very quick to give accolades to whatever partner works outside the home to say like, you're the provider, you're the one that makes this happen. And they don't really look at the other person who may very well be the one that takes the money and stretches it and is creative and executes the life, if you will. It's all in the execution. <laughs> I don't know. But you know who, who we need to get over and start talking about now in present day? Who I want to talk about? Who do you want to talk about? Randall. I want to talk about Randall and Beth and this storyline with Beth's mom, Carol, good old Felicia Rashad coming back at us, which I always love a little Felicia Rashad. <laughs> she... She was laying it on a little thick, though. I mean, it, I mean, we only saw a couple goal rounds, and Beth, I think we could assume, had had been absorbing this input for like what a week. I'm gonna say her whole life. But well, yes. but I mean, concentrated. <laughs> yes. Um, in the and they're you know they're simulating the pandemic, so they've got the all the things that lots of us are familiar with in terms of. A full family breathing each other's air day yeah. in and day out. And anyway. virtual school. Like, I appreciate they were like, take, have a snack before your next class starts. You know, those little things. Like, I thought they did a good job of layering in that stuff without it being like, wah, wah, wah. We're talking about COVID times. It's tough to receive any kind of outside judgment. I mean, I would hate for someone to come in and start being like, well, you haven't put that away in a long time. Well, you know what? It's because we use it all the time because we don't go anywhere or whatever those kinds of things are that you'd be kind of vulnerable to and and feel exposed about, you know? Absolutely. And, And it's one of those things too, like where, you know, we have helpers in our house because our kids have special needs. So we have different therapists and stuff that come and go. And there's been times over the years where I have felt very judged about, you know, what the house looks like or or where exactly things are being placed or or maybe they will take it upon themselves to hang something on the wall or something. And I'm like, what the Joe? Like, what, this is my house. 
I feel like I have that element. And but then of course we have parents and we have parents who come visit. This scenario of I don't know how long you're staying would absolutely not be okay with me. I would lose my marbles, Paul. Like, I don't care how much you like the other person. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin who said, uh, house guests are like fish. After three days, they start to stink. I think there is a real sense of like, you've got to have an end date of when you know, because there's a natural like sort of doling out of your energy, you know? And if you knew Mm -hmm. it's the last night and it's the last meal, you kind of like give it like a final push. But then you find out you have another week and you're like, but I'm depleted. I, I, I can't give it anymore. My, my introverted ways require daily renewal. I mean, <laughs> sometimes hour by hour <laughs> top offs of, of energy in dealing with people outside the, the sphere that I'm most accustomed to. Yeah, I can appreciate what you're saying, though, from like a, a, a macro standpoint. I would need a deadline, man. I would need a deadline. And like, man, the little moments, the little microaggressions of like, don't put in too much spice. And then at dinner being like, this could have used more spice. Oh, I, if I wouldn't have dropped my spoon and just been like, girl, like I was putting in another scotch bonnet and you told me not to. Now you're telling me it needed another one. Ooh, like that was sabotage, you know? Oh my gosh. I would just point be like, saboteur. <laughs> Because that was too much. I appreciated everything that was going on there. The way that the kids were acting seems spot on reality of everyone's cranky. Everyone's grumpy. They're all trying to do their own thing. Beth's trying to keep up with everybody. That moment when we realize that Tess is in a relationship with Alex and Carol, the mother-in-law knows, Mm -hmm. but not Beth. Oh, I was like... This is bad. Like, oh my God. It does raise a question, even to to an outsider such as myself, where given Carol's very uh, upright, uptight sort of presentation, how is she the approachable adult to, to go and be like, I've started in a relationship with this other person before, you know, one of your parents? It, I don't know that Carol's the most approachable person in that house. I think we have to remember the dynamic, though. She's not the most approachable person for Beth and Randall, but maybe for grandkids, she is. Like, when she's with them, I you know, she has that teacher background. She's like, remember, she was like a principal. Yeah. So she has a real, like, no nonsense. Like, when Beth's trying to get the kids to do the right thing and they're all just ignoring her. And then Carol comes down and she's all like, you need a healthy snack and you need to get off that and you need to turn this on and blah, blah. And they just snap to and do everything. That is all like dynamics, right? Like you're going to do something for your grandmother that you might give your mom some lip for, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I agree with you. I thought that they were really choosing a very specific path to make Carol not the sort of old fashioned curmudgeon, especially when it came to things like the pronouns, like she had no issue with it. And even could give examples of how Beth could use it. That was probably the tell that she had already been told. Yes. Good call on all that. You're totally right. And Beth was so in her head about being like corrected by Carol that she didn't even pick up on like, wait, 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 what? what, what? Like people are, why are you, why are you so much more comfortable than I am? There's a lot going on there. I understand that stress of trying to keep everything together during a family dinner when you have grandparents there or whatever, 
putting the phones in the bowl. Like, I love how she's just like, and I've started a new rule. She just like picks up a decorative bowl and is like, everyone puts it in the phone bowl. Like that, like impulsive, like just trying to make it work. You know, Randall, I have something to share. My basil plant is doing very well. It would have been awesome if there would have been something like, you know, fake oranges or something and that yes. she just plops it out like pours it into a drawer <laughs> she even, like, no no just just on the tabletop <laughs> be like fuck all this and, and <laughs> i love that so my much new rule bowl oh my god yes <laughs> this that's... was my orange bowl now it's my rule bowl <laughs> randall trying to handle it by hanging out on the porch i mean is that not relatable when he says the, the word it's just not in there <laughs> oh yeah my my dad did a lot of woodworking and like freezing weather uh when uh family was visiting actually so oh my gosh i've seen this in action i really felt like in the previous episode we had kind of said that a lot of the storylines had come to a very natural end you know in terms of like babies were born the adoption story had kind of come to a conclusion things were sort of feeling like we were kind of getting to be a blank slate we we needed a lot of new storylines to start and Randall's family is the source of two new storylines after beth blows up at carol bad that was bad i loved the above board conversation where beth's like did i just do that and randall's like yeah you just did that like oh my god the acknowledgement of what was happening there and then the fact that we didn't have to see the whole conversation between carol and beth to know what the outcome was going to be i thought that it was very kind and smart to have carol give her side of the story what did you feel about like The fact that she lives alone and she is sad and she wants to be around them. It's probably stuff that Beth had never looked at, you know, from that, from that perspective and maybe took for granted that, that her mom might enjoy her solitude or something, but, but never considered that, you know, her whole life has been, she chose to be surrounded by the hustle and bustle of, of kids doing things. If she didn't, she could have gone into higher echelons of school administration, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, But she chose what she chose. And so I bet Beth never, never thought of it that way. It is a little moment where you have to like look in the mirror and be like, you know, maybe what I'm considering, you know, chaos and craziness actually is being enjoyed by someone else. Because partially because I think the carols of the world are sitting there thinking like, thank God I do not have to raise kids in this day and age because this is all a lot. And so they have like a little perspective. They're a little pulled back. And so maybe while you're in it as the parent and you're just feeling like you're boiling alive, like, you know, a lobster in a pot, they're off to the side being like, this is hard, huh? <laughs> like, you know, but they can kind of be re- once removed. And I think that's where like the Tesses of these stories can go to the once removed grandparent and tell something because they're just not going to be as agitated, I guess, about the whole thing. Uh, I didn't notice when we were watching it, but you mentioned Beth having this blow up moment and the other blow up moment came from Toby. So it, yeah. it seemed like they were the in-laws were, were taking it on the chin this week in the, in the writing room. Ah, good call on that. Before we leave Randall's family, hand over to what Toby's big blow up was all about. Sure. Let's just touch in on the, on again, just concluding Carol's story. So she's going to be an official resident of the Pearson home now that's going to be something, I think, and and fascinating to bring in this new energy to that household. I mean, well, they turned table. I mean, Randall has done this same thing. 
he said, a parent is going to live here now. And yes. that was just something Beth had to had to roll with. When she said, your family treats this house like the Ramada, I was like, ha, ha, ha. Kevin lived with them too. Right. Man, I, I think though, but Felicia Rashad in, in particular, I think is going to bring this energy. I don't know. I think it's going to elevate that whole household into just different conversations that we would never have had before. And a little sideline Randall. Because, you know, he's hanging out on the porch so much. I think that they had to give him this other storyline with Malik to sort of like keep him busy because I think this is going to be a whole lot about the matriarchal hierarchy of Carol, Beth, Deja, Tess, Annie going on over here. That's going to be a very specific storyline, I think. And then you got Randall over here who's going to start mentoring Malik in a more personal life kind of way. That exchange at the end with Deja and Randall where she was pissed at him. I didn't understand it exactly because I mean, you didn't, well, no, it was that that, back in the shoes of a, of a high schooler. Yeah. I guess that level of irrationality might might need to be there because it's not irrational though. Cause she didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to her, but he didn't think about what his advice would do to impact her. Just hear me out. But he only found out before dinner. He didn't have a chance to, to do anything else. What was he supposed to do? Just the boy came to him and say, you know what? Let's put a pin in this. Even though I can see you came here to ask me for this. He could have asked additional questions like, how will Jennifer reentering your life affect your relationship with Deja? But he didn't ask those questions. He was only thinking about it from Randall's POV and Malik's POV. And he never stopped to think about it for how, what kind of stress is this going to put on the relationship between Deja and Malik? What if this does rekindle a romance between Jennifer and Malik? And now Deja is left out in the cold. There has to be some amount of thinking. And that's what she was saying. Like, I'm not mad at you, but... I feel badly that you didn't even consider how your advice to a third party would affect my life and it will affect her life. I mean, here, Jennifer was texting all during dinner, you know, already Daisha's hackles are up because this is absolutely going to challenge her relationship with Malik and now Malik with his parents. Another person who could be upset is Malik's parents. They could have come in and said, hey, Randall, I'm glad that you gave advice from an adoption standpoint or from a standpoint of a biological mother. But did you consider for a minute how this is going to harm our relationship with our son when you know we're not comfortable with having to go back to court or inviting this girl into our lives? So you can see like Reynolds just gave a very narrow tunnel vision piece of advice without thinking about all the other parties that would be affected. And that's where it came for Deja. She's like, you're my day one. You're supposed to be the one that says, what about Deja? Then what about Janelle? What about Malik? I don't even what know what a everybody? day one is. It doesn't really matter. You just, you get it. You get the concept of it, right? Well, by the context clues, I, I understood, yes. Well, but that's, that's all not, you need that's to know. That's not language I use. Here's, here's my thing. Okay, I want to hear your thing. He could have listened to all that stuff that you just mentioned. Yes. And I think he would have said the same thing. I think he would have too, but I think he could have given the caveat of be mindful. And this is something that I think Randall is absolutely capable of doing. And I think that why Deja was upset, give the caveat of, but also bringing another woman into this situation is going to create some amount of friction and stress between you and your current partner. And I know that's all uncomfortable because, you know, he's her father and all that kind of stuff, but he never gave that extra step, which is where Deja was like, 
hey, you know, like, what about me? Where were you going to say something about like, make sure you're mindful that like, be upfront. The fact that Deja had to say, why is Jennifer texting you? It's something that Malik should have shared with Deja and Mm -hmm. and been more honest. Like there's going to be more. And that should have been part of Randall's advice is basically what she's saying. Like, why, why did you only give advice that's good for one section of the group and not consider the rest? That's how I took it. That's fair. Because he was only he was he wasn't thinking any anybody besides the baby really exactly because this could be extremely he's difficult. He's the baby. He's the baby in this scenario. But here's the thing: what about Malik and Malik's parents and their legal rights and the fact that you know if the mom comes back into the scenario, what if Malik and his parents do lose some amount of custody? Was that the right thing for Janelle? Don't know. You know, there's an assumption all the time that meeting the biological parent is the best outcome. When in reality, that person may not be a good ad. You know, it's not a value ad to Janelle's life. Lake has been a very good father and his parents have been a very good support system. This does open a big can of worms. The I, I could just imagine for this whole scenario to, gotten to, to have gotten to the point where it is, I don't see how she would have those rights still. I would have thought Legally. since they went to court, you know, I assume that he just got primary custody, but they didn't delve into that. And maybe we will because, you know, we kind of did a little bit more with Deja about, you know, her the mother needing to sign over rights. And of course, we had that same scenario with Kate and Toby signing over the papers. So maybe they will talk about that more about what is the legal status of Janelle and, and who does what here. But at the same time, I honestly think that the vibe of This Is Us and, and moving forward, I don't think they necessarily need to get into the technicalities of that as much as the relationship effects. Obviously, Malik is going to have to spend more time with Jennifer now, and that is going to affect Asia. That is going to create this drama that didn't exist before. You know, I'm sure it was hard enough for him to be able to have a girlfriend and stuff and be a dad. If I was him, I wouldn't be wild about dropping off the baby with with absent mama just it's yeah so there'd be a lot of supervised watching who's going to do the supervising well that's me then you're right then that means i'm with Jennifer. baby mama and again like like deja pointed out someone who he loved enough to have you know an intimate relationship with and have a baby with so it wasn't just like they casually dated for a little bit like this was a really deep relationship between the two of them so then prediction wise yeah do you foresee this Jennifer, who we know nothing about other than she was very young, had a baby. Her parents wanted to give it up for adoption and Malik's family said, no, we'll take it. That's all, That's we, all know. we know. Right. But that does not make her a bad person. Right. That makes her a young person. Absolutely. I predict that she's going to actually be okay. And this is going to be really challenging because it's not going to be easy to not like her, which is kind of the natural setup for this kind of thing. Yes. What do you think? I, I mean, I think that they probably are going to go that route because it's going to create a lot of like emotional tension. If they wanted to go the soap opera route, you know, Jennifer snatches the baby and Randall gave bad advice. And there is that sort of moment of like meeting your birth parent isn't always the best thing because we've only had the side of meeting your birth parent or knowing your birth parent story has been a big yay. What if it's not? You know, what if Jennifer's not a great person? I mean, TV wise, I'd love to see that plot. I kind of do would too. That's the thing. Like, I know I kind of would rather see a little bit more like. Shake it up. Well, yeah. And then it it doesn't, it can't always come up roses. You just, you can't. Sometimes you're going to come up snake eyes, right? You know, Jennifer is a complete wild card right now. She may be a perfectly good person. 
She may not at all. And and we'll see, you know, she's, they're all as young as they are. So, you know, why wouldn't she be as snotty and flippant as Tess? I don't know. <laughs> you know, she totally could be. Which P.S. of all the Randall's children, how much do we all still love Annie? <laughs> was she not like the perfect angel? Oh yeah. What was she? She just wanted the iPad, iPad time. She was like, yes, dad. May I borrow your iPad? He's like, yes, again. She's like, take all the time that you need. <laughs> she is just my absolute favorite Pearson little girl. Like, I just think she's so cute and so wonderful. Love her. I need more Annie in my life. I say this every single time we get to see her. Love it. Let's shoot on over to Kate and Toby because they have a kind of, you know, a pretty stressful time here. And man, Toby's job interview scene, I like burst out, you know, like that was insane. Yeah, the idea. The ring light falling over. Oh, oh yeah, the God. whole deal. The whole deal. Did you happen to see this past week, Chris Sullivan had an interview that was published or done or something like that, where he talks about the future scenes? Hit me with it. He says, I think it's fair to say that Toby and Kate aren't married at that point. Which is tricky wording. But it's at least definitive. Okay. Um, but that's tricky wording because, I mean, it always left it up. I mean, I think the peop- everybody's responses were only that it was divorce or death. And it doesn't really shed any additional light. Well, some other form of estrangement or something like that. But still, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting that he at least spilled a bean <laughs> where, where there hasn't been a lot spoken about that future time. Yeah. He said they're definitely not married. Yeah. Well, you can see how the stress is starting to mount and that and that roles are starting to change, you know, with this loss of his job that we had in this previous episode. And then now, you know, the job market is really difficult right now and trying to find a job and also, you know, him trying to rock the baby with the golf club. I mean, boy, is that relatable? Oh, my God. That's like frighteningly relatable. And the no pants that made me laugh. But when the ring light fell over, Paul, I I like physically startled. Like I was like, oh, my God, because. What a nightmare, you know, like, ah, I don't have it, but I've seen video of myself playing drums at a concert that we were putting on at the local church. Um, This was before I got my, my new drum set, quote unquote, new drum set. My old drum set was cobbled together out of this and that and twine and things. And mid-concert, it starts to fall apart in this exact same way. Oh, my God. Just drums start just peeling away like Moses and the Red Sea, except, you know, if the Red Sea was drums and Moses was Danny Jones, the bassist. <laughs> Danny Jones. Oh, my God. I, I You guys, I in this day and age, in this Zoom meeting atmosphere that we're in, it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. I, I thought surely something was going to happen with the baby and he was going to stand up and like literally show his underwear to the interview the person. I, the whole thing was just like, oh my God. And just the fact that he's trying to hold this in the garage and everything that we're all trying to do right now. I, I thought that they just hit the nail on the head with this and, and really brought home a nightmare situation for any of us. Well, and the interviewer was this cold fish. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've already told me that kind of uh-huh. kind of guy that you couldn't get a read on. And then he gave a bullshit answer to that about you're our top candidate or whatever. One of our top candidates. Like, I've been there. I've been there with kind of getting your hopes up for uh, an interview and, and pinning a lot on it, actually, and yeah. have it just go sideways. It It's depleting. <laughs> and it's so difficult to, I think, to... 
you know, especially for someone like Toby, who they've established as being a very sociable kind of guy, very gregarious. I'm sure trying to do these interviews via Zoom and well, distant the, nature yeah. of the whole thing would just would just go against every part of how he would come across, you know, and how he prefers to operate. Is, yeah, because he's a physical presence, you know, he is. And, and he and he probably relies on that sort of big joviality persona that he has. And, you know, if you're just a shoulders and head, you don't get it. Yeah, I agree. So what did you think about his request to Kate, even I would say demand, that she not share anything about the job stuff with Kevin? Totally fair. I mean, she didn't like it because she made one of those Kate faces. <laughs> Kate faces. But um, you know how I operate. Well, I do, but our listeners don't. I, I have ideas. I have, I have goals. I have dreams. But I don't like to tell people about them until things are underway. You know, yes, I don't want to just spout off things. And then when someone says, hey, how's that going? And your answer have to be like, oh, ain't shit been done on that. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't want that to be me. You know, I, I want oh my gosh. things to be continuing. So this is a similar kind of thing. And it's even deeper because it's your livelihood. It's how you're going to take care of your family. For all we know, he might have foreseen Kevin's. <laughs> combination of like blase largesse, you know, where it's like he doesn't even know that he's being condescending by offering what he's offering. So, okay, I think this is a super interesting exercise in point of view because I am definitely from a family who has a lot more of that, our, you know, your money and my money is our money kind of idea, and that everybody helps everybody else. Nobody should go without. You know, if you don't have food in your fridge, we share dinner over here kind of thing. So I'm from that side. So I understood that Kate was kind of looking at him like, why do I need to hide something that's going on with our family? Like, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, people are losing their jobs all over the place and this is a hard job market. Why would I hide that? At the same time, I, having lived a long life with you, I do understand the pride part and and that in the way you operate, the way that you like to get to a finish line before you even tell anyone you you're running a race. Like I get that. It's very different than me. Like I'm like, I signed up for a race today. I'm doing the 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 running. I'm doing this. The race is this day. And now I finished it. Like I tell everybody everything the whole time it's happening. If it doesn't work out, I my pride is not hurt to say, oh, it didn't work out. I ended up not doing that race. There's no part of me that like breaks in half. But I understand that that is not the point of view of everyone else. With regard to the rest of Toby's life, he should go sing from the mountaintops that he needs a job. I'm not saying that he keep it so on the DL that he misses out on a connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, so no part of me thought Kevin was being condescending. I didn't no, even think he that didn't that mean was, to be. No, but I didn't even think that that was a point of view to have. I honestly didn't. I didn't recognize well, anything he was saying as why, like that's why toby went off was because that's how he was taking it i know but i don't relate to that point of view at all and so i i feel like for and maybe it's a man woman thing i have no idea i get it when someone is being like so generous with you that you feel like you're like you know okay this is like beyond you know mm -hmm. and especially they had done a good job i think of setting us up with kevin and madison of having a pretty smooth time. I'm never going to say an easy time. You know, Madison's breastfeeding, leaking through her dress, all those kinds of things. 
but they had a smooth time because they had extra help and because they were kind of like calm parents. You know, they do a lot of things can be smoothed over when you have a lot of money and people are being very generous with gifts and you feel very comfortable. Everything's going okay. So even the small things don't get blown up. Whereas if you're struggling financially um, or otherwise, your kids have extra needs like little baby Jack, other things can seem bigger and things are never as smooth. And I certainly understand that life very much. You know, I get that. You maybe do blow up at the people who seem to be having an easier time. But we've had this storyline before. Do you remember way back at a birthday party? I want to say it was a birthday year. Maybe it was, I'm going to say maybe they're turning 38. And you guys don't kill me if I, my recollection isn't that great. Toby had made dinner plans for them, but then Kevin swooped in with like exclusive restaurant dinner plans. Do you remember that? And yeah. they eat at like a fancier restaurant and Toby's yeah. like very uncomfortable yeah. that this went down this way. Yeah. I don't I, remember the specifics. I, but I, I don't I, either, but I just, but I remember tapping into this Toby Kevin dynamic of Kevin having a lot and being very generous always. And Toby specifically feeling very uncomfortable with that. I think that that is there in their relationship. I don't know who should have done something different. Like, I don't know if Kevin should have backed off his daydreams of them having a Malibu compound, everyone living together, and he could afford all this. He never once said, and we'd all chip in and you would have, you know, because that's kind of what I was listening for. I was waiting for him to be like, so if we all just put in $50,000 or $5 million, then this would be no problem. And I, then I would think, oh God, Kevin's so out of touch that they don't have that money. But he never said that. He always kind of made it seem like he would finance everything, but he just wanted them to all grow up together. Maybe that's where I was having a little tug of like, I don't know what you're really faulting Kevin for right now. Exactly. It's just the pride thing. It's just the pride thing. It's, it's uh here's another Sopranos reference. Tony takes his family out to dinner with Meadow and her boyfriend, she's in college, or maybe they're even out of college by now. I can't remember. But uh, the boyfriend slips the waitress his credit card before Tony gets a chance to pay. Tony flies off the handle. He thinks it's an insult. He, he says, you don't think I can take care of my own family, that I can't take them out to dinner? Even though he's just talking to this kid, you know? Yeah. It, there's not really like a, a real rational approach to it, but it's just this pride, dad, papa bear, whatever you want to call it, kind of pride of, I take care of them, not you. That And that's, it's, it's just like a lizard brain sort of thing, you know? Well, I mean, I understand it. I really do. And I, and I think that I guess part of it depends on how you grew up. I absolutely grew up with like a pack mentality because my parents came from nothing at all, you know, neither of them. So there was always a big sense of like everyone has to help everyone else packs have alphas though i thought it was jack this pack yeah i would have said the original pack alpha was jack yeah yeah and i don't i mean maybe like we, we've talked about whether or not that kevin is going to merge as like jack 2.0 i guess you're right that packs have alphas i guess i don't think about that what i what i focus on in that is more of like shared resources i guess is what i'm trying to say because if if everyone has nothing, but someone gets a little bit and then they share with everyone else, everyone kind of like their bellies are full and everyone can kind of level up. I don't know how, why you have to feel like you have to scrape along by yourself. I, I will never embrace that, that viewpoint. 
I understand it and I get it that that personality exists, but I don't, I cannot understand why helping each other wouldn't be so beneficial to everyone else, you know, especially things like all the kids could come here and they could grow up together and we could do all these things like pulling resources like that just feels right. Let me blow your mind real quick. I want to be blown. Let's go. (laughs) Commence blowing. Please. Even though I, I told you that I can totally sympathize and empathize with Toby's POV on keeping this on the DL from mm-hmm. Kevin. I can I could be persuaded to also think if, if Kevin wants to give him stuff, not to take the stuff, but to see who he knows. Toby's always been painted as just like IT guy. They haven't been yeah, very super vague. specific. Very vague. He knows people. They have companies, they have production companies, they right. have IT groups, they need IT directors, whatever. It, it's, it's like the one person that knows science in a show can do all science, <laughs> right, right, whether right. it's, you know, astronomy, medical, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And for all we know, that's what they can, that's, that's their approach to IT as well. Side note on real world, original 1992 version, Julie's dad says, if dance doesn't work out, I want you to become a computer expert. I laughed for like 20 minutes on that. <laughs> Me and I were like, what? That was my shameless plug for a real world pod clubhouse. Go check it out. Can you silence your phone? <laughs> I love it. Anyway. So where are you blowing my mind? That he should have oh, been just asking that I'm, just Kevin that I'm for telling connections? You, just I'm telling you both things. That I understand oh, why he was silent. Yeah. But in the long run, there's a lot more pride in being able to feed your family. Of course. Than all these other stipulations that you put on about how you got there. If they're eating, they're eating. That's my viewpoint is like, isn't the most important thing that this entire clan of children and adults like grow up together and and are strong together as a group that we're all thriving. And if at this point in time, you're needing to do more looking for jobs and stuff like that. There's been times when Kevin's been out of work. There's been times when Kevin's in rehab. There's not, it's not like they never showed Kevin needing help. He lived with Randall for, you know, a good deal of time. Like, it's not like they don't have the dynamic of everybody being with everyone else. And I think we're going to get to the point here pretty quickly where Kate is going to go live with Kevin out in LA, right? Because that's where we're getting to the storyline of the teenagers of like when they're like 18, Mm. right? I mean, there's going to be a point here when she has to leave to go from Philly. So there's going to be something that goes on with that where the Kevin-Kate connection them helping each other has always been part of it. I hope they find a way to be able to explain the concept of generosity and pride and how families can help each other in a way that feels appropriate for everybody. Because I think that this is something that goes on in households and in families all over. If they can try to role model, like how can you be the generous one without being condescending? How can you be someone who can accept a handout without feeling like you're a charity case, you know, how can you retain your pride? How, what does that look like? And how do we get there? I think it was that last bit with Kate where it was like, okay, I think I get it. I need to stop offering, but here's my final offer. Come to me. If you need me, the doors, the door is open. Yes. I think that's how you do it. And I appreciated that, uh, that the last, last little scenes we got with them was Kate saying, I'm going to go work at the school. I couldn't, um, I couldn't figure out why the hell we had that little music moment where she's coming out of there with little baby Jack and they said, we miss you at the school. Mm. I, I had no idea. Why did we have that little blip 
until we get the one sentence at the end where she's like, I've decided to take a job with the school. I was like, oh, didoy. I think they call that foreshadowing. Yeah, it was a good setup. It worked out well. Predictions, things that you think are coming. What do you think about these storylines here going on? Well, we got a Mr. Mom happening up in here. We have Nikki. Yes. Let's talk about that. Complicating, possibly, because oh. Madison was really kind of on the outside of the scene when Nikki's, yeah. you know, whole thrust was there. Who knows? Nikki might show up and say, Cassidy's parking the car. <laughs> I am kind of prepared. I mean, did you think it was going to be Nikki at the door? I was like, it's Sophie. No, it's Cassidy. And then it turned out to be Nikki. And I was like, oh man, what's up with this? Um, You know, for one of those women to show up at Madison's house, that's, yeah, good that's call. effing Madison's house. Yeah, good call. You know? But at the same time, in COVID times, what, you come unannounced? What are you doing? Nikki is not I know. social norms guy. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Okay. So yeah. So not only do we have at Randall's house, a new house guest with Carol, we've got apparently Nikki, who I think is going to end up sticking around and become some sort of new third wheel up in there, which is kind of wild because it really did feel like Kevin and Madison were gaining some strength here. Like it really felt like, okay, they are a good family unit. Mm. And now there's Nikki. (laughs) Kevin's solution might be I'll buy the house next door. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And Nick Why don't you become a roommate there. with the next door neighbor at Toby and Kate's because right. we all like him. So maybe that'll work out. Yeah. I have no idea where this is going, but that will be fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. The way that he was trying to be funny made me think yes. that, that there's, there's an effort. I mean, he should, the fact that he was there in the first place means something, but also is trying to be funny. It's almost like whatever's happening here. He's going to need a favor. He needs, or he needs support of some kind. Yeah. Because he's putting himself out there in, in all un-Nicky-ish kind of ways. Yeah. This is the anti-Nicky. And he's going to want to help. He's not going to, he's not going to say no. And the irony of the whole thing of him, like offering all this help to someone who like is not willing to take it. And then it, the, the evening ends with somebody who needs something. Nice book in there. And he'll give it. And he will. And I mean, and, and yay on Kevin. I know we've had some listeners who are like, y'all are too hard on Kevin. Yay on Kevin. I think he's being a genuine person throughout. And I appreciate his family man going all in of like wanting to build a compound and wanting to keep everyone together and grow up together and go on vacations together. Like adorable. Good on him. I love that he loves his siblings that much that he wants to have all these things with them. I think we might be looking at Jack 2.0 though. (laughs) I think that this might be happening. Yeah. 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 I think so. We didn't really address Stasia's pregnancy in the future um, in our previous podcast. And so I just want to say like, yes, we totally noticed that. And I'm excited to find out. People have all kinds of weird ideas of like who the dad is and all this kind of stuff. But I think that that's fun. I think it just fit in with the circle of life stuff that was going on, births and deaths and rides homes and all that yeah. stuff. It's, it's the future timeline. That's the, I think that's the end of the show. Yeah. Whatever. It, <laughs> you know. Nice, nice. Well, thanks so much for listening, you guys. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh...